If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel from iExplore Science, and I'm just hopping in to invite you to check out an upcoming opportunity to connect with fellow three-dimensional teachers who like just get it, while also growing professionally to become the 3D teacher and leader that I know you are meant to be. I know what it's like to be like the only one in your school, whether it's the only science teacher period, like pretty much been there, or the only science teacher that's really ready for and excited about student-driven science learning. It's really hard doing it all alone, from the actual lesson planning and instructional design to just traversing like all of the hiccups and challenges and new experiences that come along with this type of teaching. And I found it's equally hard, and maybe this connects with you, but it's equally hard when you have those really great days and there's not really anybody who you can celebrate with. Like nobody really gets what a great thing happened in your classroom. So I created the Be Curious cohort program last year to give teachers like you a space to really fill your cup, to be held accountable in like the good kind of way, to help you stay motivated and really ahead of the game, and also to help you learn and grow like while you're at it. So if you're looking for a community-focused program this school year designed to really elevate your teaching and help you bring a truly three-dimensional, student-driven approach to your classroom, please check out the Be Curious community cohorts. You can get on the wait list as well as view all of the details, the nitty-gritty stuff, by visiting iExploreScience.com cohorts. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and early enrollment opens late August, and the program is limited to six teachers. So while we won't start until September, um, we are going to start enrolling in August. And again, I like to keep the group small and intimate because we really get to know each other. And, it, you know, it's about the community. If you have any questions, please reach out. But again, you can learn more about the Be Curious community cohorts if you visit iExplorescience.com backslash cohorts. All right, back to the show. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and I'm here with Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And you are listening to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Today we are going to be talking about what, what do we do with our students' questions? 
because I feel like, oh, we talk a lot about, you know, getting your students to ask questions, but kind of the what now piece. So in this episode, we're actually going to be reviewing a little bit, like, how do we get our students to ask questions? So we're going to kind of do a recap of that in case you're new to asking questions or, you know, having your students ask questions, but then also looking at like, how do we actually use those questions and how do we incorporate them into our lessons and into our planning and, um, like make the questioning a worthwhile thing because if if they do it and you don't use it, it it's like what's the point right I think uh, yeah I I think sometimes we just ask ha- have them ask questions just for the sake of asking questions like you know checking that box hey we use that science and engineering practice um, yes I feel like I did that so like like looking back I'm like oh yeah I did that I did that a lot <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, and it's always good practice to ask questions for sure, but like we can be more intentional about it and actually use those questions. Right. So, so that's what we're going to talk about here. Um, okay. Aaron. so let's start off. Like why, why is asking questions kind of like a hard thing for our students to do sometimes? I feel like we have, it should, be, we feel like it should be an easy thing. Right. And I think it is when you get your students in the right mindset, but you're going to get, you get pushback from that. For sure. I, I can't tell you how many students I've had, like, no matter how I frame it, that they're just like, oh, I don't have any questions. And, you know, they're not, you know, trying to be whatever they're, you know, like, they just don't think they have any questions. And um, I think a lot of that comes from what, like, what asking questions is in our classrooms. I think, um, especially in other contexts, students are taught to only ask questions if they don't understand something. Um, mm-hmm. And so then that means like they weren't paying attention to the lesson or that something they did something wrong. So they don't want to have any questions because then they think that maybe you'll think that they weren't paying attention or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's definitely like a perception of it as why you have that question. Yeah. I think also, um, it takes time to, to think about things enough to like spark that curiosity and spark those questions. And so sometimes I think we don't always give our students that, that time or that chance to just kind of sit and think. I mean, I feel like even as adults, we don't take time typically to just like sit and think um, or sit and like consider stuff, you know, cause we're just r- rushing from one thing to the next or this conversation to that conversation. And so just, it's almost like sometimes there's not enough time given for students to start thinking deeply enough to really develop questions. I mean, that is. Yeah, I think, I think that we've talked about this before too, but I went to a workshop where they talked about um, like verbal versus like quiet processors. Like, you know, they're, mm-hmm. I, I don't get it because obviously I'm a verbal processor, but there are some people who need to just sit quietly and think for a little while before mm-hmm. they can um, before they can do anything with it. So just making sure that everybody has that space where it's nice and quiet and they're just kind of sort of looking at stuff and nobody's talking and then giving kids who really need to talk things out that chance as well. Then they have a chance. Right. Um, and like along those lines, like practice too. And this is, I think this is, um, a big one with our education system. And I think this is why we see, and this is, I mean, I, I don't have like a specific study I can back this up with, although there is research out there that looks at curiosity and the number of questions our students ask, and it does dramatically decrease from, you know, th- 
from early elementary school to like middle and high school. Um, but we spend so much time in our school system telling students like, be quiet, don't ask questions. I'm going to tell you what to do. This is today's objective. This is your success criteria. This is what you need to know. And our students literally don't have time. Like they don't have the opportunity to ask questions or, you know, like in elementary school, you ask a question and you're like, we'll get to that later. We'll talk about that later. We'll answer it another time. Now is not the not good time for that question. I mean, it's kind of like, you just give up. You're like, okay, well, nobody's going to answer my question anyway, or, or this quite, it's not the right time for this question. And you just right. lose practice. Right. It's just, you know, like even, um, thinking of phenomena and thinking of the questions I have about phenomena and the questions I have, like the more I have done it in the last three, four, five years, the easier it comes. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's because of that practice. Like it's yep. the way of thinking. And for most of our students, they've spent the last, what, like five, six, seven years, not thinking that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what we need to turn around in our classrooms, yeah. but, um, okay. So it is going to be a challenge to get your students into this mindset of asking questions and of noticing their questions. So that's, I think part of it too, or we don't even notice, um, the things we wonder about because it's again, right. like in and out, there's not the time, there's not the practice. Um, So how can we help our students to take that time to develop those questions to kind of get in that mindset? What are some things that you do in your classroom? Um, Well, my favorite strategy, which we've talked about before, is notice and wonder strategy. So like when you introduce a phenomenon or um, I recently did a workshop with a teacher who uses it like to analyze and interpret data. Just what do you Mm -hmm. notice? What do you wonder? Like. And switching that terminology to wonder instead of what questions do you have takes away that connotation of like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. It's not like you should know this and I'm, you're asking a question about it. It's like, you're not supposed to know this. What are you curious about? Right. Exactly. I think there's like so much value in having that notice time first, because that's how you start to really think deeply about what you're seeing. And that can then translate into questions. Um, One of the things that I like I I went to a workshop and I can't remember, it was on like mice genetics or something, but they had this set of data and they were like, make 10 observations about this, like one graph. And she's like, this is going to be hard. You're going to get to five, six. I mean, seven is going to be a push, but you got to get to eight, nine, 10. And she kind of explained like, this is when I think students really start to even anybody starts to really think about what they're seeing and starts to make deeper connections and look for meaning and um, look for patterns and all of those things. So really pushing your students to go beyond like when they're noticing and when they're making observations to go beyond that, like initial kind of in your face information and, and push deeper. I think that's when we can get um, to better that, you know, ultimately to like those better questions and better observations and questions from the observations and so on. For sure. And also just, I think that that also speaks to taking the time, like really taking Mm -hmm. time to, to think about this practice as something important because too often, I think we just kind of rush over and we're like, okay, we asked some questions done. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's another, so I was reading, it's called just one thing. And it's basically all about teaching students to ask questions. And it's not, it wasn't just a, an only science book. Um, but one of the strategies they talked about in one of the approaches, they have a dedicated time where it's just, okay, now you're just writing questions and you're literally not allowed to say anything and, or like write anything. Um, and actually they had students doing it in groups. One person was, was the recorder and everybody in the group was just saying questions about 
the phenomenon or the, the prompt or whatever. So for science, it would be your phenomenon. Um, but the rules were like, you cannot say anything. That's not a question. You cannot give feedback on any of like the questions, like you literally, and, and you write it down just exactly as it's spoken. Uh, and those are some ways that you can like allow the flow of questions to just like not be interrupted. Cause sometimes we'll start like a question chain almost where they each question kind of like, Oh, that makes me think of that. That makes me think of that. And you can build on those questions. Um, but you, but you're not interrupting it with like judging, like, Oh, that's not a good question. Or that is a good question or, um, any of those things, you know, it's designed just to like flow, flow, flow. Yeah. And now that I think about it, maybe, maybe you were allowed to just say any, I think you were supposed to try to say a question, but I feel like if you did it, if you said an observation, maybe you still wrote it down and then you changed it to a question later. That's a good idea. I cause think- then it, cause it, cause then you don't want to give like the feedback and get into an argument about whether that's a question or not. <laughs> it would be cool to like, um, use like a, a speech to text so that it's recording, you know, like this yeah. is getting that information down. So you wouldn't have to be slowed down by the, like, you know, writing it down. That's good. Yeah. And then you could just go through and like separate them yeah. into yeah. different lines and punctuation or whatever at the end. Um, that's a good, yeah, that's a great idea. But, but just that, you know, experience where we're dedicating this time to questions and we're all going to be asking questions and we're not judging or cons- we're not really thinking about whether this is a good question, bad question, whether it's related, whether it's not related, like that's not the time for it. It's just get all those ideas out of your head. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you get your students to ask a bunch of questions. And I, one last thing, I think um, just any like practice incorporating this into your classroom. So there's a teacher I work with. Um, I, I think it's her. And I just, so I don't want to say the name in case it's not, but she does. Um, I'm pretty sure at the beginning of class for, she always has as her warm up. It's like um, a video or a picture or something. And students, the warm up is like literally asking questions about that and making observations and asking questions about it. And so she gets her students really primed. Um, and if this is you, then if you're listening, <laughs> thank you for sharing this. And I will tag you in the show notes. Let me know. Send me a message. Um, but she gets her kids really primed to. Um, just to like ask these questions throughout the year. And then she's, I mean, I just remember her sharing so many stories of like a kid noticing something and then coming up with a question and then sharing that with her at a later time because their kids are always noticing things and asking questions and just incorporating that practice into your classroom and into your routines, I think is just a really good way to build that skill. That's a good idea. I'm, um, I'm subbing for a class right now. So I'm going to write that down as my warm up. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a super low prep warm up. Find like a weird video or a weird picture or like a, statistic or something, a piece of evidence. I don't know, a piece of data or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think that was a cool one. Okay. So you get your students to ask questions and you've created the culture where it's safe to do so all that. That's another huge component. We're not really going to dive into that right now, but creating that classroom environment where it's safe to share your ideas and to share your questions and your thoughts and to, to not have to worry about, um, you know, peer issues or, or teacher responses or anything, you know, all that is super important. But now what do you do with those questions? Like they, they ask them into the air and then they disappear like now. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important to, 
to, like you said, get those questions recorded somewhere. Um, I think that that's a huge part of it. And then I also like to credit students with a question. So one of the things that I do is I record the question and then I also just write their initial next to it so that I know who asked the question so that when we, when we use it later, I can say, hey, this person asked this question and make it you know, relate to, directly to, to them. Perfect. Yes. So I think a lot of teachers have probably heard, or if you haven't, um, but like driving question boards is kind of where you might record this for a class. Mm -hmm. um, and there's different ways that you can collect this information. I think there's always value in having students ask questions on their own first, like come up with their own questions. Um, and that might be in their notebook, on, on post-its, whatever. Um, and then kind of putting those questions together on a board. So then looking at as a class, what were we asking about and what were we thinking? Um, and then I personally also like to give students a chance to kind of sift through those questions and maybe categorize them. Like all these questions are, you know, you're going to have repeats of some questions, but then, or these just questions are related and kind of grouping them, whether on like a physical board in your classroom or on like a digital jam board kind of thing. Um, I think there's value in kind of seeing the different kind of clumps of areas you can go down, like pathways you can go down mm -hmm. with the questioning um, about a phenomenon. Uh, and, and I, I like, so I like having like a class one, but I also like having students write in their own notebooks, those questions too. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I also have used like, I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting where they have like a parking lot board where it just like, oh yeah, you, like, you know, you put your question on a post-it and you stick it in the parking lot. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and then you can, again, you can kind of move those around. So that makes it really easy to move around if you're doing a like paper pencil kind of board. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, so then you have all those boards, you have all the questions on the board, right? You've recorded them. And, you know, side note, um, there was another teacher that I was working with and she was so good at getting her students to ask questions, but then she would forget to write them down. And I understand because she's like, in the moment, we were just talking about them and we were coming up with them and it was great. And then she's like, but then I would forget like all of them yeah. <laughs> or I would forget like who said what or, and she's like, I need to start writing them down. So that's really the, you know, value in having them written someplace because then you can build on them and and we'll use them like we're going to talk about. Or even have a kid as your recorder, because yeah. I also have trouble like, you know, like running the classroom and writing stuff down at the same time. So I'll have a kid yeah. write it down. And then yeah. also I'll use like my whiteboard and then just take a picture of it. <laughs> so then I can go back to it later. And then, yeah, I mean, who wants to store more paper, you know? That's true. Yeah. But you can have like a digital copy. So yeah. that's perfect. Um, and I like the idea of having kids take responsibility for that. And it could be yeah. several kids or, you know, you have several recorders, one in each group or something like that, yeah. or, or everybody's writing them or, or however you want to do it, but that's cool having your kids do it. Um, okay. So then what do you actually, like, how do you actually use them? So ideally we're using those questions to build our storyline. We're taking those questions and then using the science and engineering practices to make sense of, you know, get an answer to those questions in some way. And yeah, and putting them in, you know, some sort of order that makes sense so that gradually over time, students are getting more information about the phenomenon. Yes, yes. So I feel like when I was first started designing my storylines, the way I thought about it was, okay, they were going to ask these questions and then I was going to kind of, okay, this is the lesson I have to do next. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to pull that question from the board. Like I'm going to find the question that matches up. And I think that's a totally legitimate way to start, but I really would like, you know, I would like to see more, 
really not just the illusion of student-driven learning, but like students actually making the decisions in the classroom about how the storyline unfolds. And I don't think that most, I don't think that is necessarily being talked about by <laughs> most people that are tra- still like transitioning to like the NGSS. And again, I totally understand it. It's these stages that we go through. Um, but I just remember reading, there's a, a some sort of publication that came out recently that said, you know, students are going to feel as if they are driving the learning. Right. And I want to be like, well, no, can, can we make it so that they actually are driving the learning? Like, can right. we find ways to give them actual choice? Um, and so what the way I like to think about it now is that we have all of our questions on our driving board, driving question board and all of that. And instead of me saying, okay, this is the lesson I want to do next. So I'm going to find that question and I'm going to say, hey, we're going to do this kid's question today. I want my students to determine like what question comes next. And I mean, that's going to be a process of helping your students understand, well, what task am I trying to solve or what, what's my end goal here? You know, what am I trying to explain? And that, that comes in with how you present your phenomena and um, how you engage them with it and what they understand as their like objective of the unit, um, helping them like prioritize. So if they know their objective, prioritizing, okay, which question is going to get us closer to that objective? Which question is gonna move us in the, in the direction of, of that objective? Which, um, which question is kind of, maybe we know we need to get here, but we really need to do this stuff over here first. And I'm making hand gestures and you can't see any of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, I know I need to get, you know, to, I don't know, the rainbow bridge, but I need to get across the swamp before I can get there. I don't know. Now I'm in Candyland. And then, and then just teaching them how to like identify what's important, what needs to come first, and then using that to really determine what I do tomorrow. So I think it's a balance of you have a planned what you what you want to do. You have the activities that are going to answer those questions, but really trying to give students more opportunities to tell you, okay, this activity should come first. Like this is the question we should answer first. And then you're there with, okay, good. I have this activity that we're going to use to answer that question. Right. And I think that that, like, when we look at the science and engineering practices, like we can still look at them in a way where we're just ticking off the boxes and checking off those subcomponents. But when we're really meeting the intent of those practices, it looks completely and totally different. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like we both have kind of transitioned from, you know, at first it was very much checking them off and checking out the standards and checking off the practices. And, you know, I mean, and I, I think that's just a normal transition. So if you're in the checking it off stage, there's nothing wrong with that. You have to get comfortable, you know, I don't know, what is it like walking before you can ride a bike or whatever. But I think as we kind of move forward, there's opportunities to just go further with it and really shift more of that ownership to our students. And so that's where I feel like we can move in terms of our students' questions. Mm-hmm. We can move from it creating this illusion um, and using it to create, using those questions to create buy-in and create the illusion that students are making the decisions and actually teach them how to use the questions yeah. to guide their learning and, yeah. and move them forward. Well, and I also, we talked on the last episode about like what the beginning of your school year looks like and what the end of your school year looks like. So maybe you don't do that in your first unit. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you kind of go through at the end and say, look, we sequence these questions this way, you know, so that 
that we can make sense of the phenomenon. So this time I'm going to let you guys have some choice and kind of like gradually throughout the school year, give them more and more of that choice. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely, you know, through your discussions with them, you can always, you know, guide that process um, and, and those conversations to help them realize like, okay, they want to jump into this question, but maybe that question, it might be interesting, but is it relevant to solving your task? Is it relevant to explaining your phenomenon? Is it meeting your goal? And you know, through discussion, your students might realize, no, it sounds like an interesting question, but it's answering that question isn't going to help us get to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's like kind of the path, you're you're the guide, right? It's not like they're just going wherever they want willy nilly, like you're still the guide. Right. Well, and the other thing that comes up is, do we have the resources in the classroom to answer that question? You know, that's a good one too. (laughs) Like a lot of times, like, yeah, that's a fantastic question, but we're not going to Mars today. So yeah. Yes, that is, that's a really good question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I, I feel like I, a lot of teachers think, okay, if I give my students the chance to ask all these questions and we put them all on the board and then I give them like the freedom to figure out where we're going to go, like what happens, like, how do I dress them all? How do I answer them all? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I would say don't, you don't have to, just because it's on the board doesn't mean you have to. (laughs) Yeah. You totally do not have to get to them all. It's totally acceptable to not get to everything. Yes. And I think it's important to like recognize and and you don't have to tell your students this um, because I don't, I think it's important to validate all of those questions and put all of those questions on your board. Um, But some questions are not going to be relevant to the task. So they're on the board, but you're not going to, you just know you're not going to address them in the class. Maybe they could go investigate them on their own, but you're not going to address them as part of your storyline and that's okay. And then sometimes there's questions that are like almost too advanced. Like this is not, I was just talking with um, another teacher that I work with one-on-one and she was talking about how her students in their force and motion unit were really interested in like why, when you jump in a swimming pool, like the surface tension of water, like hurts your body when you hit it from like a pie or something yeah, and like belly flop or whatever. And so it was like a sixth grade class. And so yes. surface tension and like properties of water and stuff like that is probably a little bit m- more. I think those are like high school standards. Um, yeah. M- more than what, you know, her goal was with that forces and motion unit. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a kind of question where like, wow, that's a really great question. That could be great for some students to go investigate on their own, but we probably don't need to get into like the polarity of water and all of that stuff in, in that unit. Right. And I think that you could, like, um, so they're observing that like water molecules are sticky. We can just stop there. You know, like it doesn't, yes. like, so you don't have to have to get to it in that much depth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, you can keep it like at your grade level. It doesn't. Yeah. 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 And I like, we do a lot of things where we observe how like different substances are more sticky than other, like others, like you know, looking at like a drop of alcohol versus a drop of water and see which one, you know, evaporates more quickly. So, yeah. Yeah. So like, it's okay that you're not like fully answering every single question is basically what our point is here. For sure. Some are not going to be relevant. Some to truly understand would go way beyond your like students developmental level or like the the objectives of your course or whatever. So, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's not a big deal. The, it's always good to have questions at the end. Cause that's how life works. That's how science works. We're constantly thinking of new questions. Oh, that's another thing too. Do you, how often do you return to your driving question board or wherever you're logging your questions? Like to add to it, I mean. Um, I like, 
ideally do it like every day, but it doesn't always work out that way. You know what I mean? Like it, like, like when a question comes up, we, I, you know, I say, okay, we need to get that on the board, you know, like. Yes. So you are going back. Yes. So that's perfect. Um, cause I think a lot of teachers also think we put the questions up there and then that's it. Like we don't really go back to it or I only go back to it to choose what lessons next or something. But I think it's important that our students are revisiting that board. Um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with not going back every day just because you don't want it to become like this. Oh, we have to talk about that board again when it's not relevant. Right. Right. Rather like, Hey, we had a new question. Let's add it. Or, okay, we finished this. We have this piece of the puzzle. We can tell you how it connects to the phenomenon. Now, where do we go? Mm -hmm. It's a perfect time to go back to your. Yeah. And I think like most of the time I try to give students ownership of that so that they're just like, they come up with a question, they go write it down and they stick it. So it's not like, it's not like I'm going, okay, we have to add stuff to the driving. Oh yeah. Like as a, I mean, yeah, that gets super repetitive and boring, but they know that they have access to it all the time. Yeah. Perfect. I like that. Um, do we have anything else? So I guess send us some questions. If you have questions about this, my plan is, um, in September, I'm going to do a series in the, um, student driven learning or spark student driven learning Facebook group on Facebook. (laughs) Um, I'm going to do a series about questioning in that group and, um, how I like use student questions a little bit more in depth about the the process for prioritizing and having them identify where they're going and all of that. But if you have additional questions about student questioning, I'd be happy to address some of those questions in the group. We could do another episode on the podcast um, this fall. Just send us your questions, basically, if this is still a topic that you're like, okay, I, but I still want to know this. Like, yeah. please, please, please tell us what you notice and wonder. And, and, yeah. Yeah. and I, I, like, we've started to get more questions about specific contexts. And that's really helpful. So then we could say, oh yeah, in this situation, I would have done this. And so that's really helpful. Yes. Yeah. Please send us your questions so that we are not just repeating the same things in general. We would love to like more specifically address maybe what's happening in your classroom mm-hmm. and what you're seeing and all that. So, yep. And you can submit your questions at uh, teachingscienceand3d.com slash questions. Perfect. Okay. So we will for sure have that in the show notes. Um, and you can also just, you know, Google it. Um, but we will catch you. Oh, actually, you know what? Next week, guys, we are taking a break and and just excuse me. Enjoy your Labor Day. And we will see you the following week with um, we'll be back for season seven. Yes. Yes, we will. These seasons are totally arbitrary. Side note. Um, we're just basically like, oh, it's been a bunch of episodes. We should start a new season. Yeah. So we're yeah. gonna start season seven. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you for season seven on September 13th. Yeah. See you then. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. 
Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3D planner.